If you go down to the local gas station or smoke shop, you'll likely see a large and brightly colored sign advertising the availability of a product with a strange name. An herbal supplement promising to not only take away your pain, but also get you high. And in most places, you could buy it without any form of ID. Welcome to the Just Dumb Enough Podcast, a show that acknowledges no one is always an expert by dispelling misconceptions with real experts. I'm your host as always, Colton Petrie. My guest today is Cynthia German. Cynthia has been an epidemiologist and biostatistician for decades, which makes it all the more unusual that one day her son overdosed on a substance that she'd barely heard of before, Kratom. There's no easy or punchy way for me to summarize the multitude of failures we discuss in this interview, but it runs the gamut from simple greed to complete government failure. I get a lot more personally involved in this topic, and I tell a story about my personal life, which is something I steer clear of. Let me know if it actually improves the show for you, or if you'd rather I stayed the enigma that I am. But while I'm talking about my personal experiences, I really think you should all consider getting blue-free lights and or changing the light habits that you have before sleep. I have noticed a huge difference with just the shift I made after last week's episode spooked me. Anyway, let's please, for the love of all mankind, not do Kratom. Welcome to the show, Cynthia German. Well, thanks for having me, Colton. Really appreciate it. Yeah, I'm so excited to have you on the show. Why don't you introduce yourself a little bit for the audience? Sure. So uh, I am epidemiologist and biostatistician by training. I have a doctorate in biostatistics from the University of North Carolina, and I've spent about 40 years or so uh, in biomedical research, designing and analyzing clinical trials as well as observational studies, um, pharmacoepidemiology studies is what we call them, but that's a mouthful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that sounds in itself very complex. And I'm sure there's some people here who are like, oh no, what did we just sign up for? And <laughs> instead of trying to dive into that extremely, I'm sure, complex career, we are kind of here to talk about something much more personal to you, yeah. and that is the drug Kratom. Yes and what its impact has kind of been on you personally. Yes. Yes. So Kratom is a um it is a plant that's from Southeast Asia um and imported into the United States and our son uh, overdosed on Kratom and that was the cause of death on the medical examiner's report was toxicity due to the alkaloid and, and metabolite of, of Kratom. Don't want to get too technical, but um, yeah, so uh, it is very, very personal to me. He did not realize that it was, that it could kill you. Uh, he he uh, thought it was very safe because it's so easy to get. He, he had bought it online. It, it, you can get it online. You can get it in convenience stores. You can get it even in bars. You can get it in vape shops, smoke shops, things like that. But it's because it's unregulated, it, it's sort of the Wild West. You know, some manufacturers 
or adding ingredients to it. You don't know exactly what you're getting. Um, there have been reports of fentanyl being in some packaging, uh, other opioids being in, in some packaging with Kratom. Um, so I think it's really important to, if, if you're going to use Kratom, to do your research. Yeah, certainly. And this is one of those where like, it's not FDA regulated. Like this is not a supplement as unregulated as that already is in the U S and most people in the U S are probably well aware of that. Like your supplements could have anything in them. This isn't even on the FDA approval list. So it doesn't, doesn't fall into that. It can't be prescribed as a medication. It's not in any of those. It is just like out there as like a, a health ingredient or something similar to that. Right. 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 And, um, because it's not FDA regulated in any way, manufacturers are not required to put dosing instructions on the packaging. They're not required to put any risks or warnings on the packaging, um, or even the ingredients or the amount of ingredients on the packaging. So yeah, you have to be really careful about what you're getting. And when we're talking about Kratom, you know, I think like it's a a nebulous concept so far for people wherein it's like, oh, it seems like a plant. Is this something that most people smoke? Is it in pill form? Do they sprinkle it in their tea? Like what is the the usual format? Um, I think in, in Southeast Asia, it is chewed. The leaves are chewed. But in America, it's often ground up into sort of like a powder or ground leaves and people, uh, people take it. They can put it in tea or other drinks. Um, in fact, there are drinks that are manufactured now that have kratom, even kratom combined with kava. And, uh, some people put it in capsules, uh, so that it's easier to take. Um, but, uh, that's, that's what I know about the way that people take it. And they take it for various things. You know, at low doses, Colton, um, it, it has sort of a stimulant effect, kind of akin to coffee. But at high doses, it can act. Um, it's not an opioid chemically uh, in terms of chemical structure, but it can act like an opioid in terms of its effects. And uh, at, at high doses, it ha- has that uh, sedative kind of effects and also uh, higher risk of some side effects. Yeah. And that's how it's described basically online. Like when I look it up to say like, okay, how do they describe this? It says a plant-based substance with both stimulant and opioid like effects. I'm like, okay, that's not, that's not a great descriptor to say like, oh, it could pick you up or it could depress your entire system. You know, just could go either way. Either way. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's really very dose dependent. Um, I think the poison is in the dose at low doses. People, people say, um, you know, anecdotally, there's not a whole lot of studies out there, but people say that it helps them with their pain. Um, some people take it for anxiety or depression. Some people take it for, um, opioid withdrawal symptoms and to maybe reduce the cravings. But at the high doses is where I think you kind of get into trouble. The higher doses where it's got more of the sedative opioid effects can be uh, associated with seizures and with uh, cardiotoxicity. And, you know, there's, of course, no warnings on the packaging for people that have a seizure disorder or cardiovascular disease pre-existing. And so 
uh, you kind of get into sort of the unknown there. Uh, you don't know what you're taking, and so you don't know what it's going to do to you, right? Yeah. And this kind of loops back to you know what you had said earlier, like with those descriptions of what this substance does, you would not think this is something that you know is just openly available. It's everywhere. You'd think this is something we would keep under lock and key, and it's just not. It's for not some reason. So, so interestingly enough, the DEA tried to schedule it as a a Schedule One substance. So that's that's under lock and key. Um, but uh, uh, I think it was in 2016. But members of Congress and lobbyists and the American Kratom Society raised a lot of questions about that and really pushed back. And so they took it off that list. And the FDA didn't act as well because the DEA backed off. So yeah, it's it's come up several times, and every time there is a um, a lot of pushback um, because I think a lot of people are getting uh, some benefit from those lower doses. It's not the lower doses that are are really I think problematic. I think it's the higher ones, and when it's combined with other substances that might kratom might interact with. Um, which can increase its potency um, of either Kratom or of the other drug. So that's where I think we don't have enough studies to know what which drugs it interacts with. Certainly. And that's something that takes a lot of time. You know, if you're going to put any substance out there on the market, like you've got to do some pretty, if you're going to be responsible about it, I suppose, you've got to do some pretty intensive testing to say like, okay, does drug A interact? Does drug B all the way through the entire, you know, medical encyclopedia worth of drugs to say like, okay, we now know what its effects are. And I found, you know, the DEA, as you brought it up, had a very interesting case. When I read about it, it had said like their choice was to make it a schedule one substance, which, you know, means no medical benefit, right? Like that's where a lot of extremely hard drugs end up. Like and heroin. some others. Yeah. 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 And it just said in the article I looked at after quote unquote strong lobbying, they decided to basically leave it entirely unregulated, which to me is an insane decision because it's not like our drug system works on it's either schedule one or not at all. Right. Like, there is a right. system of scheduling. And after some lobbying, which could mean any number of things, they just decided like, ah, oh, you know what? We're not going to regulate it in, yeah. in any fashion. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and the other thing that's really worrisome, Colton, is that there, I think there are about 6,000 manufacturers out there of Kratom in some way, shape or form. And some of them are not, you know, the best actors, you know, uh, there may be manufacturing contamination that's going on. Some of them are creating extracts um, by reducing the leaves down, boiling it and reducing the leaves down to get a really concentrated uh, form, um, which of course will have greater potency and could be riskier, right? I've even, I think I said, I even read some uh, reports that fentanyl was, has been found in, in cranial packaging. Uh, that's very scary in this day and age. Well, and that's the wild west, you know, kind of, category that they fall in is like because it's so unregulated you can get anything in there and that's akin to you know hearing stories about people buying healthcare supplements for exercise and then finding out they test positive for steroids 
It's yeah. like, yeah, because it's unregulated, they could put whatever they want in there. And you don't know. Exactly. Exactly. I um I think if if this was something that uh was regulated, that was going to be regulated and the FDA was going to approve it, um, it would go through a series of studies. Um so it would first be tested um chemically, and then it would be tested in animals. And then after those toxicity studies, toxicology studies, then it would move into healthy volunteers and be tested there. And the pharmacokinetics would be studied so that we know how the body is um, metabolizing the substance. And then there would be dose ranging studies so that they understand what the safe range of dose doses are. And then interaction studies that you mentioned before, where they're studying uh, versus different products that are especially uh, metabolized in the liver, SIP uh, type of substrates and things like that. So uh, none of that work has really been done. Um, there have been a, a, quite a few animal studies done, but there's not been very many human studies that, that have been done, especially looking at the dose range or looking at interactions. And that's where I'm very concerned. Well, and that's very important. And this takes a long period of time usually, right? Like those studies are not something where they're like, oh, we're going to get this done in six months. No, it usually takes a while. Um, uh, and in terms of the interaction studies, uh, there can be a few of those that need to be done. Um, they're not huge studies, usually. Uh, usually they have like, uh, it may be a, a crossover design. It's in a more, more efficient design where uh, a patient might start out with one product and then add the other product so that they can see whether there's an interaction. But uh, so they're 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 not huge studies, but they do take some time. And um and yeah, I would hope that FDA or NIDA somebody would fund those types of studies so that we understand what the risk to to consumers is. Well, and it's a huge difference to say like, okay, we have found the dose range to be anywhere from we'll just say one milligram up to X, which is maybe a hundred, and then you do the interaction study and this is why it's so important here is you're like oh it interacts with everything on the ssri scale so anyone taking antidepressants actually right. their safe range is only up to 30. Right, and you're like exactly. hey that's a huge change to that scale you just gave me of safety <laughs> you just yeah. cut it not even into thirds we're beyond a third yeah exactly and a lot of these people the people that are likely to use kratom they may be taking it for anxiety or depression or opioid withdrawal symptoms. And, and there they may be on SSRIs and other products um, that affect, you know, and interact with Kratom. So it's it's very scary that we don't know anything about that. Um, and, you know, it's disappointing. And that's a very vulnerable population to be you know, targeting very intentionally, I think the way that they market Kratom to say like, oh, it helps with anxiety, it helps with depression. You're talking about a group that desperately wants to be better. Yeah. So if you're selling them the promise of this, like you should be just from a moral standpoint, like very sure that this is not going to harm them because they are looking for any help they can get. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. Um, I don't, uh, I think the um, one of the issues uh, is that the lobbying for this, as you said, is so strong 
And there's a society called the American Kratom Association, aka, that is very prominent in uh, whenever there's public hearings by the FDA or, or whenever there's a workshop by NIDA or the National Institute for Drug Abuse or by NIH, they are there <laughs> when Kratom's on the docket. And I think they even sponsored a workshop uh, that had a lot of uh, in NIDA speakers in December. Um, so they are very, very active in this space. Well, and if people are curious, like, oh, why do they have so many lobbyists? Like, well, we talked about them having 6,000 manufacturers. Like, that's more than we have for critical drugs in the U.S. If you're like, oh, how many insulin manufacturers do we have? You're like, not 6,000. No. <laughs> no, we're not close. <laughs> not even close. Yeah. So that's a lot of commercial money being poured into making sure that their product can stay on the market. Yeah, it's... It's scary, to be honest. And I know that uh, the American Kratom Society and, and other um, American Kratom, Kratom Association, rather, and other uh, lobbyists have really tried to paint the picture that Kratom is as safe as coffee, for example. I, uh, I, I think that the lack of data prohibits those strong statements. Um, I, I, I really think that we don't know enough, um, especially in humans. The long-term effects have not been studied. Uh, long-term safety has not been studied. Chronic high doses have not been studied. And then the interactions, uh, I don't think you can conclude without those data that this is safe as coffee. When, you know, a lot of people may be hearing us say like, well, there's 6,000 manufacturers. You can buy it online. You can buy it at a gas station. And they think, well, it can't be that bad. If we're allowing it to be in those many places, it can't be that bad. Exactly. But I did just like some contextual research before this, and there is 18 countries where it is illegal in any format. So 18 countries have looked at the substance and said, in no way, shape, or form will we allow this anywhere within the borders of our country. Exactly. And, you know, some states, um, you know, the states are, some of the states are acting, I think there's about six states that had a ban on Kratom, but four of them have proposed bills to reintroduce Kratom and allow it to be sold. There are some states that have age restrictions, either uh, above 18 or above 21. Uh, and then there's uh, some counties and cities that have banned it from, you know, their domain but it's like you said the wild west out there it certainly is and for us there, there's an argument to say like well it should be a state's de decision to see what they ban or not ban but states are not designed like the dea they're not designed to do these drug trials for their state they're right. looking to larger agencies to say like hey what should we do right and when you have a major agency like the DEA or the FDA just saying like, we're not going to weigh in right now, it kind of tells you like, okay, well then I guess, should we not be worried about it? Yeah, exactly. And a lot of people, um, consumers think that, well, if it's not regulated and I can get it almost anywhere, it's safe. It's, it's fine for me to take because it's obviously the DEA and the FDA thought it was okay. And that's not true. It's not that the FDA thinks it's okay. They've put out warnings 
um, that people should not use it. But, you know, those warnings don't get to everybody. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, how many people are going to spend the time to look up what, you know, government opinions are for different agencies on different things? Like I go to the grocery store and I pick up an energy drink. I'm not necessarily going to do an FDA search to see like, oh, how do they feel about caffeine and its safe levels and its unsafe levels? I'm just going to grab an energy drink and hope that it's fine. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And that's that's the same kind of thing that gets into this this other argument that I ran into online that I think is a very bad argument where they say like, well, aspirin's legal over the counter and I can buy as much of it as I want and I could still overdose on it. And you're like, all right, let's break let's break that argument down into why it is so terrible. Because <laughs> aspirin has decades, if not a century worth of medical data. Yeah. It has a very strict guideline as to what is safe and what's not safe printed on the bottle with research to back that up. Yep. And it also probably has labels all over it that say, like, don't do this, don't do this, don't do right. that. Don't take it with this. <laughs> Exactly. Yes. Lots of research on aspirin. And, you know, despite all that, like people still avoid those, even with the warnings on the bottle, people are just like, I don't know, take five. Yeah. Yeah. You're like, please don't do that. Yeah, please. Um, Yeah. I mean, it's even worse here because uh, some of the packaging, it's like just this plastic bag, like with this brown powder in it. And maybe it has like B7 on it or something or B9 on it or something, but, you know, something obscure, but that's in it. There's nothing else on it. I mean, it's it's kind of mind boggling. Yeah. And you're left up to yourself to say, like, again, do you Google this to see what you're supposed to do with it? Or do you say, like, all right, I guess I'll take the entire bag because they sold it as a bag and there's no scooper in it. So it must be the entire thing. Yeah, I mean it's unbelievable. Yeah, so so I think at minimum that we should have some requirements for packaging uh, that give dosing instructions, that give uh, warnings and of the risks, and that give some instructions about where uh, interactions might come into play and and where you need to be careful um, about other substances you're taking it with. And also uh, pre-existing conditions, you know, some people with certain conditions, um, uh, it may not be a good idea for them to use it at all. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of people out there that have, you know, either because of a pre-existing condition or a medication they're on, they have a sensitivity to caffeine mm-hmm. and it's like, you should be well aware of that. Right. And if I have a sensitivity to caffeine because it's a stimulant, not because it's caffeine, the molecule. I probably also shouldn't be taking Kratom. Right, exactly. And that, I think you mentioned to me one time that, weren't you an EMT? Yes. So I worked as a paramedic and uh, that's kind of what connected us you know, with yeah. doing this topic is that I usually uh, don't get into personal stories on the show, but I was one of the frontline paramedics when Kratom made its big push onto the streets. And it was like, you know, day one, week one, and we had three overdoses of very young people within about an hour of each other. And so we had no idea what we were seeing, what we were looking at. 
you know, the people that could speak would tell us Kratom and it meant nothing to us because I'm like, I don't know what Kratom is. It's just some, you know, the package they have is something that looks like it's from a gas station. It means nothing to me. There's no training that I'd gone through that would say like, oh, it affects opioid receptors. And so we were, you know, literally shooting in the dark. And when a bunch of us grouped up at the hospital, um, me and a lot of the other paramedics, we had all said like, oh, we're all seeing this. That means we need to make some phone calls right now. And so we were one of the first groups that we called poison control to see if they knew anything about it. And they referred us directly to the DEA. And so we ended up on the phone with the DEA well before their decision to either schedule or not schedule the substance Mm -hmm. and had to have debriefings with them about, you know, what we were seeing in patients and what the effects were. And it was, uh, it was a very scary time to be practicing medicine because there's no treatment protocol. I'm like, okay, I'm seeing their, you know, suppressed breathing. Am I supposed to be giving them something to help their breathing? Should I be giving them something to bring their heart rate up? Like then you check and you're like, all right, I'm seeing a very accelerated heart rate. I don't want to bring their heart rate up anymore, but I need to secure their breathing. And it, you know, even to today, you know, I look at this every once in a while because I have a very obviously strong stance against Kratom now, having seen it in the field. And even now I look up studies to say like, what is the treatment protocol? And it's thin. It's thin at best. Yes, very thin. And, you know, one of the arguments that the lobbyists make is um, like the FDA had looked in their adverse experience reporting system at deaths associated with Kratom. And I think they found 44, but all, all but one had other substances on board. And so the the leap was that, OK, then Kratom wasn't at fault. But that's not true. It could be that kratom is causing increased concentrations of of these things, or or vice versa. And you know, you don't know. It could be very well be a contributor. You know, and it's the combination of the two. So that's a, a flawed argument in my mind as well. Yeah. Yeah, and it just doesn't. You know, as much as it doesn't get the research to say like. How much should you be taking? With what should you be avoiding? It also, because they've they've so heavily obscured that data to say like, oh, well, Kratom was seen, but it's not the contributor. Like there's very few cases where it's Kratom was the only substance in their body at all in general. So we're not going to look at it. And that really hurts us being able to treat people in the field yeah. to say like, okay, if I know enough about the drug, I know it affects opioid receptors, even though it's not an opioid. Can I give Narcan, for instance, which is a very common drug that we give for all opioid overdoses? And they're like, well, we haven't done any research because we didn't think to consider it. And so I read one that was from not long ago. I don't remember the exact timeline, but a year ago where they're like, oh, we've had our first successful case of treating Kratom with Narcan. And I'm like, this is our first case study. (laughs) Like I ran into this, what, 10 years ago now. I'm like, in 10 years, how is this the first case study we're doing? Yeah. I mean, um, I don't know if you saw the Tampa Bay special investigation that was reported out in December. I have not. It was a three-part series and it was on Kratom. And um, 
they found 587 people in Florida had died from kratom-related overdose that where kratom was named in the by the medical examiner as as cause of death. 90% of those were since 2017. So kratom uses is actually kratom use is increasing. The deaths are increasing as well. That was just Florida alone. We don't know how many in the U.S. in total, how many deaths uh, there have been from kratom and whether or not there were other substances involved as well. Uh, the CDC had has some uh, data um, from um, 20, I think it's 2020 to 2022 that's recently they've posted on their website where you can download the data set. Um, and it looks like uh, it's increasing. Of course, it's not incre- it's not as high as opioid deaths because that's much more common. The thing is that, you know, we don't know, we know op- opioids, a bad act. <laughs> you know, we know a lot about opioids. They've been studied. Kratom, we don't know. And so we don't know what doses and what interactions and everything. And yeah, so it's, it, it, we just need to to somehow generate more data. Uh, NIDA, I would love to see NIDA um, or NIH fund some interaction studies and dose ranging studies. Myself as well. And I'll, I'll never forget the feeling like the the name Kratom is lodged in my brain forever now because of that experience. And I will never forget the first time that I was driving past a local business and there is, I kid you not, probably a six foot by four foot rainbow colored sign on the side of the building that said Kratom available here. And I about pulled my car off the road because I was shocked that we would still not only like still be allowing it in stores, but be advertising it like this is the best thing you've never heard of. Yeah. And a lot of a lot of uh, manufacturers are advertising extra strength Kratom, more potent Kratom. And it's like, okay, now there you're getting into the high doses or you're mixing something else in. And that's where I think the risks are. And it's so scary. They're even selling it in bars. And like I said, you can get it just like you can get energy drinks. You can get it in in um, uh, convenience stores in a can of like soda. And that's like, you know, obviously they want their money. They want to push it like, hey, it costs a little more, but it's extra concentrated. And it's like you're advocating very actively for them to take as much as possible. Like at that point, you've crossed a line from saying like, I just put out a supplement you know, what, how much they take of it is, you know, that's not on me. That's on the consumer to know how much they should take. Like, no, you put it in extra concentrated maximum dose format and then expected people to be responsible with it when you're not being responsible with it. Right. And who knows um, what they're doing in that extraction process where they're, uh, you know, where they're actually reducing it, boiling it down to a very concentrated form. Sometimes they're boiling it in alcohol and sometimes water, sometimes other substances. So you, you, unless you really know the manufacturer and know how they make it, it's pretty scary. Yeah. And, and deaths can occur. I mean, that's what happened to our son. Our son died in October of 2021 uh, from kratom toxicity. And I know my experience is very much in the professional capacity, and I cannot imagine 
you know, how this has affected your life, but I think it really helps people to hear, you know, if you want to tell a bit of his story and, you know, kind of the, what you've been through from then to now, I think it, it really helps drive this point home. Well, thank you, Col- Colton. Well, you know, our son uh, uh, had struggled with some um, issues uh, growing up. He had ADHD and Asperger's, which made him feel a little bit different, made him feel a little isolated, but he was very, very bright, especially in math um, and science, very much of a coder. He knew that from when he was eight years old, he knew that he was going to be a coder and he was brilliant at it. Um, he was everybody's help desk that we knew. <laughs> um, but he started experimenting with drugs when he was taking chemistry in high school. And he he did some, you know, light experimentation. Um, one of one thing was uh, his ADHD man. So we stopped that. Uh, but then he was experimenting with some other things and, and it, it, got, it got, he got a little bit deeper and deeper. He went down a bad path, uh, when he moved to, um, Washington, DC, uh, for a job. And he was there by himself when COVID hit and the shutdown came. And, uh, yeah. So he was, he was ordering drugs through the dark web, but Kratom, he got just regular. Uh, it wasn't, it was just so easy to get. Anyway, he was in recovery for 20 months uh, and was doing incredibly well before he uh, he uh, uh, was we found him in his apartment um, lifeless and it was kratom toxicity. I think that he was taking kratom to reduce cravings, you know, uh, because, you know, when you have been taking drugs, you get triggered and you have these cravings. Uh, and I think he had read on Reddit that it was some, some people have found it useful with, uh, withdrawal symptoms. And I think he just took too much. And I think, you know, it's very much like anecdotally, the information is out there on forums that say Kratom could help with opioid withdrawals. If you had an opioid addiction or, you know, any level of substance abuse to that effect, Kratom might be helpful. And maybe that's true maybe there is a study to be done about that again it's going to be at a much lower dose than anything else because we're not trying to trade one substance for another right you know that's always the concern to say like yes you were addicted to oxy or heroin before and now we're going to get you addicted to kratom like no we're going to give you some kratom for a very brief period of time and then eventually we're going to wean you off that and hope that we have done enough that you don't have that addiction, that substance abuse problem anymore. You know, yeah, and and, and the lobbyists and American Kratom Association and NIDA have presented research saying that it's not addictive. Kratom's not addictive, but anecdotally, I have heard from people since this happened that have said that they had a hard time getting off of it, and I think there's even a Reddit formula uh, forum for people who are having a hard time stopping using craving. Well, anything, anything that has an effect in your body that you could find desirable has some abuse potential, even if you're like, well, caffeine's not addictive, but I know a lot of people that have caffeine withdrawals if they go without, and it's like, Hey, that's an addiction. If you're experiencing withdrawals from stopping any intake of any substance, that's an addiction. Yeah. Absolutely. So then 
you know, obviously was this kind of your first experience with Kratom was, you know, found after his passing? Yeah, pretty much. Although I had heard of it. I, I had heard of it sort of through the grapevine, but I, you know, I, I hadn't much experience with it otherwise. But uh, I, I did recognize, you know, the the name um, Kratom when, when we saw the medical examiner's report. So uh, then I started studying and I think it's become one of my um, goals to raise awareness of this. And I think that's a very honorable goal. There are a lot of things out there that can hurt us and we're not being adequately protected from them. And, you know, obviously I have a bit of a personal skew on this, but I think this is an extremely dangerous one. And the fact that there is not enough out there to try and protect people about it is unacceptable at a lot of levels. I totally agree with you, Colton. So following all of this, thank you again for coming on here and sharing information and sharing your story. I know this is I'm sure not an easy process, but you've also, you know, taken this further than just doing interviews. You've also written a book and trying to, you know, talk about this experience from a, a different perspective. From a different perspective, yes, very different. Um, but anyway, the book uh, it was life transforming for me. Certainly, I mean that sounds like a a very close personal experience for you, and then to kind of put that out there you know, to help others, I think is a, a very honorable goal. And a lot of people have said that it really helped them in their grief. It gave them hope. Um, and um, I'm, I'm happy about that. And we also are donating 50% of the proceeds from the book to help fund research on more effective uh, treatments for addiction. And that's fantastic. So, you know, make sure you tell people what the book is, where to find it, where they can get it and learn more. Sure, sure. Um, so uh, you can go to my website, which is www.wingsofpeacepress.com. And there's a, a QR code there too. Um, and uh, you can also get it on Amazon. Uh, search for Alexander German, G-I-R-M-A-N, A Voice from Heaven. And you can find it in ebook paperback and hardcover. And then it's also on um, Spotify and um, in audio book as well. Fantastic. I mean, a lot of ways for people to take in that content, a lot of ways to buy it. I will put uh, links for all of this in the show notes so people can find it very easily. I do recommend you pick this up. Not only are you, you know, getting to, to learn more, you know, like you said, 50% of this is going towards addiction research and treatment research. And, you know, if people pick it up, as I always tell people, please write a good review when you are done purchasing the book. It helps other people find this book. It helps other people hear the message. And in this case, it also helps to donate more to addiction research, which is a very good cause. Absolutely. Thank you, Colton. Yes, yeah, Cynthia, thank you so much for being here. I've appreciated your time immensely. My pleasure. I don't know what more to say to convince you. I sincerely hope none of you out there are planning to use Kratom in any form until it has enough safety and regulation. In other news, the top country rankings have shuffled just a little bit. Number one, 
the United States, still led by New York, Oregon, and Illinois, although I do see California and Florida creeping up from behind. Number two, England of the United Kingdom. Number three, Australia, with Western Australia now taking over. Number four, Canada, with British Columbia staying at the top. And number five, New Zealand, now beating Ireland. That's it for this week. Have a great week, a great weekend, and I'll see you all back here for another new episode. Until that next episode, you remember this part? Please do all those things that help the show grow, like rating, reviewing, liking, subscribing, telling your friends about it, telling your enemies about it, whatever it takes. Remember, you can reach out to dumbenoughpodcast at gmail.com or on any of the social media accounts if you want to reach me personally. But most importantly, stay dumb.